Hello, everybody, and welcome to the JWB Fantasy Football Podcast. He's Justin. I'm Wyatt. And on today's episode, we're going to start our wide receiver breakdown. But first, we're going to get to some NFL news. And the most important news of all, we have football. The NFL and the NFLPA have agreed to terms on all of the issues regarding the COVID-19 protocol. So we will be having football, which is exciting news. Moving on to our next piece. Algic Rosas was released by the Giants. Justin, what do you think about this? I mean, it's a shame for people who like to call their shots on certain kickers. He's definitely one of those guys that has been booting it for the past couple of years, but the seemingly never, ever going to go away Chandler Catanzaro's going to be kicking the ball now for that team. So we'll see. I thought Rosas would have been nice and reliable, but uh, yeah, not going to be an option anymore. Hopefully that doesn't uh, mess with anybody's particular draft plans. Yeah, I definitely thought he could have been an option this year because the Giants offense should be pretty good, but no more. Yeah, what do you think about Cat and Zero? Do you think he's got anything left in the tank here and what go around 345 of his career? I mean, he had a leg. Uh, he was uh, relevant kicker for periods of time, so why not? Yeah, we'll see. Next, Jamal Adams was traded to the Seahawks from the Jets. For quite a haul, honestly, but I think the important thing here is what this does is it really improves the Seahawks defense, which could affect the way in which they play offensively. They're a team that loves to run. Uh, we thought that they might be passing a little bit more this year because of all the issues with the running game and Chris Carson and Rashad Penny and Carlos Hyde and us not really knowing what was going to be happening there. But if their defense is improved because of Jamal Adams, maybe maybe they're still going to be able to run a lot. Maybe a little bit. I don't know if I buy that, man. I really don't, because I don't think that Jamal Adams is going to make that much of a difference. Uh, not enough to turn them all of a sudden into the Vikings, who are just built on defense and running game, right? Uh, it might have some bearing on keeping the games a little bit closer, uh, but I feel like at some point we're going to look back years down the road at this oddly long and slow methodical march to the maturation of Russell Wilson just getting fully and completely unleashed and I think this is just going to be one of those years where he's still going to be slinging it so uh, if they make a couple other moves maybe we revisit this at a future time but I'm not I'm certainly not moving Tyler Lockett DK Metcalf or Russell Wilson down my draft board because they might not have to pass as much. I'm still expecting the same thing out of those guys as before. I think it's just really interesting. One thing I will say to kick it back to you here, like it, it illustrates a lot of what we've been saying about Adam Gase for the past couple weeks, right? Like no one wants to be a part of that team on either side of the ball. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I still side with Seattle is going to be passing more. I think they're really trying to make a run for a Super Bowl, And I think it's, obvious that that's true with this trade. I mean, you don't make this trade if you're not trying to win a Super Bowl. And I think to do that, they basically have to let Russell Wilson just go out there and air it out. Yeah, for sure. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. Like I do believe after what I, we were reading some Twitter beef between Adams and Levy and Bell, and they do play each other at some point, I think something about week 14 or whatnot in the tweets that went back and forth between the two. So I hope that's the case. Like, there's nothing better than watching former Adam Gase players play an Adam Gase team when oh, they yeah. don't like each other. So I'll be <laughs> I'll be looking forward to that game if I'm right about that. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Uh, next, we're starting to have our player opt outs rolling in today. We're we're recording on Tuesday, so we're really starting to get these in as training camp is starting all over. Uh, what do you think are some of the more important ones that have happened so far? I mean, there's a couple of notable names that, you know, people will recognize. I think, like, first and foremost, Marquise Goodwin is not going to play this year, which is very interesting. Uh, probably even more interesting than that, Devin Funches isn't going to play in Green Bay. That's another name that we've all seen kind of up higher in drafts and a few years back. So uh, there was some debate about whether he or uh, Lazar was going to get the ball more. And we obviously know how that situation is going to go now since Funt just won't be there. Um, there's a few other things that I've thought have been kind of interesting. Like the Ravens aren't going to have their kick returner, Thomas. 
uh, some older names that I recognize, like Chance Warmack are on the list and have opted out. Uh, and there was even a rookie in Dallas who opted out, which I think is interesting, too, because we're seeing it both from veterans and young guys. So um, we'll, we'll keep everybody updated. Obviously, by the time we record next week, that is going to be a much larger list and we'll run through any more of the important names on there. But why don't you talk about the one third, apparently, of the New England Patriots who are not going to participate in this season? Yeah, I mean, they're losing Patrick Chung, Dante Hightower, who are both centerpieces of that defense, really. They're they're not going to have their fullback, Danny Vitale, Brandon Bolden, <laughs> who's still there, apparently. Marcus Cannon, one of their offensive tackles. You know, like, they're losing a lot of guys here. It's pretty crazy to see. You know, I heard something on the radio today while I was driving around, actually, that made a lot of sense to me, that the Patriots are full of these veteran players who have won, won a lot of games, made a lot of money. They're not really playing for as much as a lot of other people in the league. I agree with that. And let me give you a little bit of a different spin on that, too. They also have signed a lot of team-friendly deals. And I don't think they feel as if they're leaving as much money on the table as somebody who ran to a higher-value contract with a different organization. So um, I know that there's going to be a lot of Patriots naysayers who are calling this comeuppance for their years and years and years of prolonged greatness. And I think it's sad to see in all honesty, like I hope that they put out a competitive product that can keep up in the AFC East. Cause I was very interested and I'm still interested in this Cam Newton project and James White's likely increase of value now that they don't have a blocking fullback and have lost offensive linemen. But I do think there's something to be said there about the fact that you're right. They've been there. They've done that. And they're not making such an absorbent amount of money that they can't forego it for a year to chill out and do what they think is right for their family. So we're really, really, really going to see what Belichick is made of this year, even more so than we originally thought. Next, we've got some running back news that I'm just going to go through real quick and let you come back into it. We've got Dalvin Cook, who apparently told Mike Zimmer that he was going to be reporting on time, at least so Mike Zimmer said, but then Dalvin Cook's agent said that that's not true, which was kind of odd. Then we got Raheem Mostert, who him and the 49ers were able to work on a new deal for him, so he will definitely be staying in San Francisco, which you know we kind of thought was going to happen anyway. And then we got Sony Michelle, who his status for training camp is actually reportedly up in the air due to the foot surgery he had in May, which we were already kind of off of Sony Michelle, but... Which of these do you think is the most important here? I think first and foremost, the Sony Michelle news, although not the most important, is one that we can just kind of put in a box, put a bow on it, and bury it. Don't own Sony Michelle. Don't waste your time. Uh, there's very little chance that he was going to have an overly productive season at any point anyway. But with injury concerns on his end, and like we had just mentioned, the loss of a fullback and an offensive lineman, I think we both really feel like not only is James White going to have a fair amount of passes to catch coming out of that backfield, but now he's going to have even a larger increased role in that offense as the guy who comes in to do a lot of the blocking and to help Cam Newton manage this offense with what pieces and parts end up being there to play. So I've essentially just put him on my do not draft list and move James White up, which is a, a shame for Michelle because, you know, like he came into the league the same time as Nick Chubb and they were very, very similar coming out of college. And we've said all these wonderful things about Chubb in the past couple of weeks. And now Michelle is just falling completely off the draft board. Um, Mostert and Cook, I think, is good news for everybody. It, it makes you feel good about taking Cook early on in the first round or in the middle of the first round. I'm now totally comfortable taking him at five or six after this conversation. Uh, I'll ask you just to make sure I'm not fully off base here, Wyatt, but like if Mike Zimmer tells you that uh, Dalvin Cook said one thing and Dalvin Cook's agent says something else, who who do we believe in that dispute? I I honestly don't know. It sounds like you are on the, the Mike Zimmer side since you, you know, are, you're more comfortable with Dalvin Cook after this conversation. I was kind of left in the dark. I, I I didn't know how to feel about it. Really? I just don't. Mike Zimmer doesn't strike me as the guy who doesn't shoot straight. Like, I have a hard time thinking that he misconstrued something that Dalvin Cook said and then went public with it. I think the only way that Mike Zimmer makes a public statement is if 
Dalvin Cook made it perfectly clear to him that he was going to be there for the start of training camp. Otherwise, he would probably just not say anything, right? Like he's seems to have from the outside looking in that kind of personality to me. Uh, so I like it. I think it just says to me that there's going to be stability there and that there's going to be progress eventually in the contract dispute, but it's not going to interrupt him on the field of play. Uh, and same thing for Mostert. I don't have to worry about drafting him and then find out that he ended up in some offense that I'm no longer interested in. Uh, he isn't really going to move too far up the draft boards from where he was, but it does make me more comfortable taking him in the tier of players that we had discussed previously. Um, and then I guess just to end our little news discussion here, one thing I did notice as well is that Darius Geis was cleared to play earlier in the week, which I didn't even realize was a thing. I thought he was already cleared to play before. Uh, but the fact that we're this close to training camp and Geis is just now being cleared to play kind of makes me you know, put him in my do not draft list as well as another guy who I don't have a whole lot of faith in. So we'll we'll see. It'll be an interesting, interesting uh, set of times in the next couple of weeks as we get some more running back news on who's playing, who's not playing and who's healthy and who isn't. Yeah, I, I did not realize that guys hadn't actually been cleared yet. Maybe that's just because I don't pay attention to him because I'm so off him as a fantasy value that I I just don't pay attention. But that is interesting. Yeah, I know. I, I've thought the same thing, too, that, you know, at this point, maybe they just have a team of doctors that looks at Darius Geis every third day and says, you know what? I think we're we're still good here. <laughs> and, and if not, he doesn't play. But it's kind of been like that for that poor guy throughout his career that he just can't stay healthy and stay on the field. So I, I don't know, like even even if the doctors give him a glowing report of health, are you suddenly going to be more comfortable on him with his past track record? Nope. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Yeah, I agree. All right, moving on, we're going to start our wide receiver breakdown. For those who have been with us before, you have you know how we have been doing this. For those who are joining us today, we're going to be looking at rounds one through five for wide receivers based on ADP for Fantasy Pros PPR. PPR is point per reception. ADP is average draft position. We're going to be talking about those guys in our rankings versus the expert consensus rankings, the ECR. Uh, the first person, tier by himself, tier one, Michael Thomas, ECR one, JWB one. Yeah, he's just the elite wide receiver this year uh, with every every reason to be that. He has had incredible numbers in any format. Uh, he provides you the yardage and the touchdowns and standard to be the best receiver. He catches a high enough volume of passes in PPR and half PPR to maintain that particular position. So there's no dispute. He's the number one receiver in the rankings, in our rankings, and the number one receiver in average draft position for good reason. So my understanding from your projections and your rankings is that, sure, like we get that Michael Thomas is the number one overall receiver, and that's a no-brainer. But where he belongs as far as draft position is almost in that same tier of running backs where we had Cook, Henry, and Kamara. Do you think that's fair? I do think that's fair. Okay, so we'd be looking in the middle of the first round for a guy like Michael Thomas, but still not good enough to surpass Zeke or Barkley or McCaffrey. Correct. Cool. Our next tier, tier two, it's Devontae Adams, ECR2, JWB2, Julio Jones, ECR3, JWB3, Tyreek Hill, ECR4, JWB4. Yeah, I mean, if... Michael Thomas is super elite, a plus number one wide receiver. These guys are a, a step behind with with good reason because they each have just a teeny little bit of a drop off, but they are elite. So I'd be happy with any of these particular guys. And it's it's nice to see that there's not a whole lot uh, that I think we have to cover here. Uh, Devontae Adams is two in all the rankings. Jones is three in all the rankings. Hill is four in all the rankings. So we all pretty much. Um, agree here. One thing that I will point out before you give us a little insight on any of these guys that maybe stands out to you uh, is that Adams and Hopkins and Hill, as far as PPR drafts are concerned, are going in the 8, 9, 10 spot. So they're all considered first rounders in a PPR draft, but they are all bunched up. So this definitely looks like a place where fantasy drafters are kind of deciding at the end of the first round, maybe close to the turn in a 10 person league, which one of those three is their favorite. And then you're grabbing them there at the end of the first. Uh, that also means if you see any of these guys in the middle of the second, it's time to 
jump for joy and grab him quickly. But who would you say out of here is your particular favorite? Well, Devontae Adams is my favorite out of this group, mainly because he has basically zero competition for targets in that offense. He is the only receiver. I mean, Adam Adam Lazard is the number two receiver in that offense, which he's probably a number three or four in every other team. Uh, he's also been averaging 10 touchdowns a year for the last four years. He's, he's just been very, very good, and he should see an absurd amount of targets. Julio Jones is basically the most consistent wide receiver in fantasy football over the last odd many a years. He's just basically guaranteed for 1,400 yards and 90 catches. And yeah, he's never had the greatest number of touchdowns, but he makes up for it with, you know, all the yards and catches. Tyreek Hill is the, probably the most explosive wide receiver in the NFL. And he will lose you some weeks with his inconsistency, but he is the type of receiver who will win you weeks on his own, essentially. And he'll probably do that like five times this year where your team could have a bad week, but just Tyreek Hill alone will go for 40 points and win you a week. Moving on to tier three, we've got Chris Godwin, who's ECR six and JWB five and Deandre Hopkins, who's ECR five and JWB six. Yeah. So here's one that I think might stand out to people about our rankings in particular. We might be the only group of people who created a tier two of wide receivers and doesn't have DeAndre Hopkins in that conversation. Uh, And I think that's because we're a little bit lower on him than most people. And subsequently, we're higher on Chris Godwin, which is why he appears here at five. Now, I think because we had some shares of Chris Godwin in various leagues last year, we watched firsthand kind of how good his numbers and his production really, really was. Uh, And obviously, even without a huge proven track record, Wyatt, you're very high on him to have him all the way up at number five in the rankings. So what is it about Chris Godwin this year that makes you think that he is going to end the year as a top five fantasy wide receiver? Well, first off, he's been very good so far in the NFL. And I know last year was his first year where he was really in a starting position, but he flourished in it. And I've been doing some research on points per target for wide receivers in each scoring format to try and get an idea of how good guys are, you know, per target. Chris Godwin in standard scores 1.4 points per target and in PPR scores two points per target. To put that in perspective, Julio Jones scores 1.2 and 1.9. So, so far, Chris Godwin in his career has been better than Julio Jones per target fantasy points wise. Now, he has a smaller sample size than Julio Jones. Julio Jones has been doing it for a long time. That's why he's ranked where he is. But it's interesting to see that Chris Godwin is producing on that kind of a level already in this young career in the NFL. The other important thing is that Tom Brady is now in Tampa Bay, and Tom Brady has had an affinity for his slot receiver. He likes to throw over the middle a good bit. And Chris Godwin, over his career, has played over 50% of his snaps out of the slot. So you can see how Chris Godwin kind of just becomes the guy for Tom Brady. And I think he's going to lead the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in targets by a decent margin. So I am very, very much on the Chris Godwin hype train with you for all of those exact reasons. I actually think the fact that Tom Brady is likely to have a better effect on his numbers than Jameis Winston had is part of the reason why I do think that he ultimately is the fifth wide receiver. Um, For what it's worth, in most drafts, Wyatt, I have ignored the ability to take Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, and Tyreek Hill because I almost prefer to try and find my way into Godwin later because he and then a guy we're going to talk about later and DJ Moore uh, are my two favorite wide receivers. So I have a ton of faith in Godwin. I really hope that he's able to produce. The other thing that really sticks out to me in particular, right, is that he's being drafted at the end of the second round. So a guy even that the experts have a six and we have at five, there's not there's not too much discord between our rankings and the expert consensus rankings. You're still talking about a guy who you're able to get at the end of round two, maybe early on in round two. And that's fantastic value for what we think Godwin's going to do. Now, subsequently, on the other side, all of the good factual information that you just gave me about Godwin's performance and how Brady might affect it. Uh, is almost the antithesis of what I see in DeAndre Hopkins this year. So I get that he has been just a monster in targets and has put up huge numbers on a lot of volume, but there has been a little inconsistency 
with him returning his draft value to his owners at the end of the year in some seasons because he has been drafted very high in some recent years and when he doesn't deliver that's been a bit of an issue so i don't really know how to take that information of his time in houston and apply it to the cardinals offense and murray and kingsbury and what that may look like there in arizona so i i personally think that there's just a little bit too much of a question mark on what Hopkins overall number of receptions and touchdowns may look like at the end of the year to invest a first round draft pick in him. And what we see is that although he is fifth in the expert rankings and six in our rankings, he's actually going at the very beginning of the second round. He's going about 11 or 12 in most drafts. And I, I can't really take the information that I know about a guy like Chris Godwin and overdraft someone like Hopkins that early when I ought to be taking a running back, I'd rather wait and try and get the receiver a little bit later. So um, I think everybody's going to kind of understand my hesitation on what's going on with Hopkins and what his role might be. So why don't you take the other side? Like what, what are the reasons why we could expect to see maybe a number one or a number two season out of DeAndre Hopkins this year? Well, I think the biggest thing is that he's going to an offense that passes the ball a lot more than the previous offense he was in. Deshaun Watson averaged around 500 passes a year while in Houston, but Kyler Murray threw the ball 543 times last year. So already he's going to an offense that throws the ball a lot more. And Cliff Kingsbury likes to run an up-tempo offense. So they might even throw the ball more than they did last year. He is an elite talent at wide receiver. So you could see how that would translate to him being a number one, number two receiver in fancy football this year. But I, like you, do struggle with seeing how that will work exactly. Him going to a new offense, there are a lot of options in that offense. Kyler Murray kind of spread the ball around a, a good bit last year, so I'm not sure that he will translate all the way like he like he was performing in Houston. But I think because of how good he is and how much... Arizona will throw the ball. You kind of have to have him up here in the rankings. Well, yeah. I mean, he's probably the most talented wide receiver in the league from a perspective of raw talent. Like, I think part of the reason why Michael Thomas is the best receiver statistics-wise is because of the way that that New Orleans offense runs and how it runs through him. I don't necessarily know that the Arizona offense is going to run through DeAndre Hopkins, but his his sheer raw talent does merit that he go very high in drafts. I just maybe wish that he was going closer to the end of the second round instead of the very end of the first or the top of the second. Um, I'll mention for everybody as well, just so they kind of see where your head's at here. The uh, projections that you have for the Cardinals offense this year is that Kyler Murray is going to throw the ball about 550 times. Uh, about 143 of those targets headed DeAndre Hopkins' way for 96 catches, nine touchdowns, and about 1,300 yards. That's an absolutely wonderful season, and I think your projections there are really good. I'd be very, very happy getting those numbers from him. I just worry that there's also the possibility that maybe it's 85 catches for 1,100 yards and six touchdowns, and that's not... That's not a first round pick. That right, is right. a it second could easily or third be round pick. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, it goes really well for him. But that DeAndre Hopkins is one guy that I would preach showing a little bit of uh, restraint on this year. I agree. Moving on to tier four, we've got DJ Moore, who's ECR 11, JWB 7, Kenny Galladay, ECR 8, JWB 8, Mike Evans, ECR 9, JWB 9. Yeah, let's start off with Mike Evans since we just finished up that Godwin conversation a, a moment ago. Uh, all of the reasons why Chris Godwin could emerge out of the slot with Tom Brady are all of the reasons why Mike Evans has to take a minor step back this year for that emergence to happen. So since we believe that that's what we're going to see out of Godwin and Brady with their connection subsequently those targets and that work has to come from someone and a little bit of it has come from Mike Evans, which is why we ultimately have him back uh, at number nine. Now he has had six straight 1000 yard seasons and he averages 
a very, very good season. I think his career average is like 1,200 yards and eight touchdowns, which is is excellent. Uh, it's just possible that maybe this might be the year that brings the average down a little bit more. Um, what do you think about Mike Evans? And then why don't you also go directly into Kenny Galladay? Yeah, I think Mike Evans could drop a little bit in terms of yardage. It wouldn't surprise me at all just because of the way I feel about Chris Godwin. But what I think it's important here is I think Mike Evans is still going to be one of the big red zone threats for the team. It's I think it's going to be him and Gronk. Um, Brady has shown affinity for large receivers once they get into the red zone. So I think Mike Evans, while touchdowns can be volatile, I think Mike Evans is kind of a shoe in for like eight touchdowns in this offense. And he's so talented that I think he's still going to get enough work to, you know, get 1,100 yards or so. So that's why he's still in my top 10, but just at the back of the top 10. Moving on to Kenny Galladay, who is kind of similar to Mike Evans in the way that his career has gone so far, is kind of this big play receiver. And last year, he only got to play with Matthew Stafford for eight games. But if you took those eight games that he played with Matthew Stafford and put him into a whole season— he would have had almost 1,300 yards and 14 touchdowns. So you could see the big playability that he has. He led the league in receiving touchdowns last year. I believe he also led the league in air yards per target, and I think just air yards uh, overall. So he's just a really big play receiver. He might want to give him a slight hit depending on if it's PPR because he's definitely not going to catch a ton of passes just by the virtue of the routes that he, he runs. But I really like him as this great red zone threat, big play guy. And air yards has one of the, been one of the biggest correlations for fantasy production. Very interesting. So I, I think maybe the one thing that I would pick at there in terms of both Evans and Galladay is I don't know that I would give them a slight hit in PPR as much as I would give them a boost if I were playing standard. So in PPR drafts, those guys are currently going 24 and 25, actually. So Galladay and Evans are right there in the middle of the second round. I might be more inclined in standard to grab them at 21 or 22 if I was uh, picking on the turn there, right? So let's say you have the first overall pick and you take Christian McCaffrey and then you get to pick 20 and you realize that you have to take a second running back or your running backs are going to be abysmal, you kind of got to reach for your favorite receiver there with that next pick. And I, I would be very comfortable taking a guy like Evans or Galladay that high in a standard draft. Um, what do you think about DJ Moore potentially being looked at in the early 20s? Now, I know that that's a guy that the experts have back at 11. You and I have him at seven ahead of Galladay and Evans because we really believe in him, especially in a PPR format. But let's let's look at the perspective of somebody who is maybe drafting 23 or 24 and is thinking about just locking in DJ Moore early in the third round so that they know that they have him. I personally would be very comfortable with doing that. I think you would be too, but explain a little bit about why. Well, first off, DJ Moore is, I think, an incredible talent. I thought we got to see that on display last year. I, I was reading a stat today that he actually like leads the league in broken tackles per reception since he came into the league, which I didn't realize. Uh, so it's just, just another feather in his cap. But the big thing for me is that Carolina is a bad team, and their defense is bad, and they're going to have to throw the ball a lot. And it's really easy to find a correlation between Teddy Bridgewater while he was in New Orleans with Michael Thomas and now being with DJ Moore and how DJ Moore can basically be the Michael Thomas for uh, Teddy Bridgewater in Carolina. And last year, uh, DJ Moore, he got he got hurt in the beginning of week 16, didn't play the rest of the game and didn't play week 17. So he basically only played 14 games. And in those 14 games, he had 133 targets, which is nine and a half a game. You can expect him to get a ton of targets in this offense. And he might catch 100 passes. I think the ceiling is just sky high. And I think he has a, a great floor to go with it. Yeah, I agree with all of that. So that's why I think uh, in particular, if you are in a PPR league, Moore is a guy that you ought jump over Galladay and Evans so that you can benefit from the fact that he's going to catch 
a ton of balls throughout the game, but then likely have those huge, all-important garbage time boosts at the end of games that turn his, what, 16, 17-point weeks into 25 because he goes out and catches four passes for an extra 30 yards and sometimes even a touchdown at the end of a game that they're losing by two or three uh, scores. So I, I definitely think that this is the year for him. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised, Wyatt, if DJ Moore is being drafted at the end of the first round with guys like Adams and Tyree Kill next season. Uh, and the fact that he's going 30th overall in PPR drafts, let alone standard drafts where he's going in the late 30s, is incredible to me this year. It just, unless we're missing something, it just seems irresponsible of the fantasy community to overlook a guy like this. And I honestly think it's just because the Panthers are bad and because Teddy Bridgewater is new to that offense. But like all of the question marks that I discussed in terms of DeAndre Hopkins and his role in the offense don't really exist when you examine Bridgewater and DJ Moore because you kind of know going into it, regardless of Matt Roller, whoever is the coach there and whatever the offense is going to look like, there's only two ways for that offense to go through Christian McCaffrey and through a whole bunch of passes to DJ Moore to help open up some space for Christian McCaffrey. So he he seems to have exactly what you said, a, like a incredibly high floor, especially in any format that rewards you for targets or catches uh, of any kind. So, you know, it's kind of where we're going to plant our flag that this guy who's going in the 30s, that's 11th in the expert consensus rankings, you and I are about a full round higher on him. Yeah, I think you're right that he gets ignored because he's on a bad team. And, you know, most of the time, the best players come from the best offenses. But I don't even know if this is necessarily just a outside thing. I think it's just one of those, you know that this guy is going to get a ton of targets and we already know that he can produce with them. So I think he's just being overlooked. Moving on to Tier 5, we've got Odell Beckham Jr., ECR 12, JWB 10, Calvin Ridley, ECR 17, JWB 11, and Amari Cooper, ECR 14, JWB 12. So these guys, for me, this particular trio, is I guess what I am viewing this year as the last chance at a number one wide receiver kind of guys. So I think you and I have noticed in particular that when you are taking two or three running backs in a row at the top of the draft, which is what we think you have to do in a year like this where there's not only scarcity uh, at the running back position, but also a massive difference in talent in the middle of the running back pool, that these three guys right here are the ones that you're hoping to get in the end of round three or the beginning of round four after you have loaded up at the running back position. So Odell Beckham is 12th in the consensus rankings, like you said, and 10th for us. Uh, part of the reason why we're a little bit higher on him is because as Browns fans, we watched a lot of him last year and we read a lot about our hometown team. And he is expected to come into this year with two things that I don't know I've previously seen from him which is perfect health and a ton of motivation. And because of that, I think his ceiling is to return to a first round wide receiver next year. Now the floor is a little bit iffy and that's the reason why he's here in the fifth tier when guys like DJ Moore are going way ahead of him. And even guys like Kenny Galladay and Chris Godwin, who don't have much of a track record are going way ahead of him. But I think we can expect pretty good numbers out of Beckham this year. And if you are loading up on running backs and he becomes your number one ride receiver, I feel really good about that. Or if you have a pretty standard draft and do two running backs and two wide receivers, he seems like a very, very powerful wide receiver too, to me as well. Um, any thoughts in particular that you want to add about OBJ? Yeah, I just really want to talk about how bad the Browns passing offense was last year and how Baker and Odell just really were never on the same page together. Odell was playing through an injury all of last year. I, I know everyone knows that it came out, but I don't think you really know how much it was affecting him unless you were watching him play because it really seemed like a different player out there at times. He just and, lacked explosiveness. Yeah, you know... You got to see it a little bit when they played the Jets and he took that slant, but you didn't get to see it all the time. And 
it re- I think it really affected his production because he was also, I think, off on his routes because of it. And that's why Baker and him couldn't get on the same page. And, you know, last year he had a disappointing year. He did have 133 targets, but he only had 74 catches, just over 1,000 yards, and only four touchdowns. But if you just take his normal career percentages and take them and put them to that 133 targets, he would have had 83 catches for over 1,100 yards and nine touchdowns. And I think he could get more than 133 targets this year. All of that kind of spells out a decent ceiling, which I think is exactly what I wanted to emphasize. But I mean, if you are in the camp of Wyatt here, where you believe that he has a pretty decent floor as well to go with that particularly high ceiling, I mean, you might even consider bumping him up a little bit more than where he's already at. Like, I can't believe that I'm saying this, but Odell Beckham is going at 32 overall in fantasy drafts, which is literally one spot above Juju Smith-Schuster. So he's there. He's there for the taking in round four. Sometimes you can even get him in the middle or late stages of round four. Uh, And that is, that is a pretty, pretty good player with a good pedigree to get at that particular point. The only thing that really scares me about him is that the Browns, are likely to not pass a ton. So if they if Baker continues to spread the ball around a good bit, maybe he doesn't get the targets he needs to to be a wide receiver number one. But he de- we know he has the talent. It's just a matter of if he still gets the targets, which I think he will. Right. So let's kind of examine that a little more thoroughly. Exactly what you just said is the reason why he's in this fifth tier of wide receivers this year. Because that line of logic does not apply to DJ Moore or Chris Godwin or Kenny Galladay, the guys who are in front of him, right? So he could have a ceiling that matches or is even higher than those guys, but the floor gives you some pause for concern. Now, this particular tier of wide receivers, the other two that we mentioned were Calvin Ridley, who were much higher on than the general public, and Amari Cooper. So everything that we just gave you in terms of analysis on Odell Beckham, you can basically directly apply to Amari Cooper as well. He's another player with a very high ceiling in a prolific offense, way more prolific than the Cleveland offense. Uh, But he's shown a propensity to disappear in certain games and also played through a little bit of injury, just like OBJ did last year as well. So uh, Cooper's in this tier for the exact same reason that Beckham is. And that's the reason why those guys are kind of already behind everybody else. So you're perfectly right to have that hesitation about the volume that Beckham would get and also the volume that Cooper would get. Uh, One stat that I found very interesting in preparation for this episode, Wyatt, is that since joining Dallas, Amari Cooper has 10 of his 25 games with under 10 PPR points. I mean, it's one thing to have games of under 10 points in standard, but under 10 points in PPR, uh, that could cause you to lose an entire week. And I think that makes makes me a little nervous in terms of Amari Cooper. Like, I get when he goes off, I'm going to win those weeks but like what do i do when he goes for eight that's a terrible number yeah with amari cooper i I don't i don't know how much this will land but to me he's actually kind of like a worse tyree kill in a way where they will win you weeks and they can lose you weeks except amari cooper is a worse version of that i like that comp actually i was kind of thinking in my head that he is very boomer bust just like tyree kill is but his payoff is maybe not not quite as high because there's a good chance that what if we're seeing 10 games out of 25 of under 10 points. I mean, that is just an abysmal game. And what does that shake out to? That's more than a third. So you're telling me during the course of a 16-game season that I'm going to have, what, five weeks where Amari Cooper gives me less than 10? That's not survivable throughout the course of the year. But he still has the huge ceiling. So it's kind of why he belongs in in this particular tier. If I'm able to get one of the guys from the previous tiers ahead of him, fantastic. But like I said, if I'm not, man, it's because I've loaded up on the running back position. And if I'm coming out of the end of the first round in the beginning of the second round, like let's say I'm picking nine or I'm picking 10 and I'm able to grab myself something like Nick Chubb and Kenyon Drake. And then I add a guy like Gurley in round three. 
and it forces me to take somebody like Cooper, who's a little more boomer bust in round four as my first wide receiver. I'm willing to do that if I think I've got good stable running backs who are going to help those positions as well. Um, but let's shift gears real quick because I want to give you a platform here to talk about one of your favorite players this year, uh, and that's Calvin Ridley. So here's another place where he appears in tier five for us because he's 11th in the JWB rankings. In the expert consensus rankings, he's all the way back at 17, which means that guys like Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, Adam Thielen, even Robert Woods and Juju Smith-Schuster are ahead of him for almost everyone else who is not you. You have him in front of literally all of those guys in a about a whole round higher than most people are drafting him. So Calvin Ridley sits in this tier with Odell Beckham and Amari Cooper. He's going in the middle of the fifth round, 44-45 in most drafts. Wyatt, I, I've seen you willing to take him in the early 30s. Why the confidence on that? Well, well, first off, I understand where people are coming from, not having Calvin Ridley as high as I do, because, well, first off, he's the number two receiver on his team, and his stats so far in his career have been good. They've been pretty good, but they don't quite line up with some of these guys in this range. But I think you really have to look deeper into what happened last year to really find the value that's here. First off, I kind of mentioned some points per target info before with Chris Godwin and how good he was, how he was better than Julio Jones. Well, Calvin Ridley is better than Chris Godwin. Calvin Ridley averages 1.5 points per target in standard and 2.2 points per target in PPR. And then you look at what he did last year. He missed the last three games of the season. But if you gave him his averages from the rest of the games and added them on to the end of the season there, he would have finished with just over 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns. Not bad, right? But let's get into it a little bit deeper. After Mohamed Sanu left, when he got traded in the middle of the year, Calvin Ridley started averaging 8.2 targets a game. If he would get that for the entire year, which I expect him to, he would have 131 targets. With the way he plays, the way he produces on his targets, for him to get those amount of targets, he's going to be a top 10 receiver. So that's why I've got him up here. I mean, there could be some variance to this, and he could ha lose some of his efficiency, and that's why I have him at 11, but I think he has a very good chance, very good, of being top eight, top seven receiver. Yeah, if it goes that way, he certainly would be. So let's uh, have this same discussion that I feel like we have in every episode at some point. You got a guy like Calvin Ridley. Most people are not taking him until the middle of the fifth round. Are you going to take him somewhere in the third? Are you going to take him early in the fourth if that's uh, the last shot that you have at him? Or do you recommend maybe trying to wait and lock him in with some more value at the end of the fourth or beginning of the fifth if you are in that position? I want to be drafting Calvin Ridley in the fourth. I think that's kind of the spot he's got to go right now. I think that his ADP is going to continue to climb. If you've already drafted, you know, you might have been able to get him in the fifth round. I'm not so sure that that's going to continue. If I'm picking at the end of the third round, I'm going to consider him there. But I don't think I could let him get past the fourth round. Yeah, and you kind of, I don't want to say stand alone, because there's a lot of people that just love Calvin Ridley. But you're an outlier, if nothing else, in that that respect when it comes to taking him that high. So uh, I guess this is a place where I just want to highlight for everyone that you know, we we definitely feel the same way about Calvin Ridley. So if you find yourself listening to this and you think as well, oh, wow, I'd like to have Calvin Ridley on my team this year, you know, look to figure out where that makes the most sense for you. Uh, he's been going, as I mentioned, somewhere in the 40s in most drafts. So you have an opportunity here where if you see that name out there at the end of the third or beginning of the fourth round, and he may be three, four, five names down on the list of uh, wide receiver rankings that you're looking at, don't hesitate to move him up the board and take him a little bit earlier because if you don't, somebody else will. Moving on to our tier six, we've got Tyler Lockett, ECR 21, JWB 13, AJ Brown, ECR 18, JWB 14, Cooper Cup, ECR 15, JWB 15, Allen Robinson, 
ECR 7, JWB 16, and Adam Thielen, ECR 13, JWB 17. This is by far my favorite tier of wide receivers. I absolutely love these guys. So let's go quick hit on them, and then I'll turn it over to you to pick the ones that stand out to you the most. Tyler Lockett is one of my favorite players this year. I have always hated Seattle's passing attack and was never a fan of Tyler Lockett. And last year, he proved me wrong and showed me on the field why he merits being drafted as a very, very viable wide receiver one that can give you weeks or wide receiver two that gives you weeks of wide receiver one type of play. And then people started drafting and he's not being drafted that way. And I can't really figure out why other than people really like the shiny new toy and DK Metcalf and he's getting an unceremonious drop for no reason. Uh, that is the reason why you and I have him at 13 in our rankings, even though the experts have him all the way back at 21. AJ Brown is another one that you and I are a little bit higher on. He's at 18 in the expert rankings. I think just because there's some uncertainty there on whether or not Ryan Tannehill is even going to throw nine passes a game, let alone <laughs> support somebody like AJ Brown. Uh, but I know you and I believe that he's going to have a lot of work and that a ton of it will be in the red zone. Uh, admittedly, AJ Brown is a guy that I think you have to move back in PPR and ahead in standard. Uh, then there's Cooper Cup who we have at 15, exactly where the experts have. He is just a machine at catching touchdowns throughout the year. I'll let you talk about that a little bit. Um, Allen Robinson is the one surprise in this tier, I think. Love Allen Robinson as a player, but I am not comfortable drafting him as the seventh wide receiver off the board, which is where he is in the expert rankings. You and I have him back at 16. Um, so he's probably the largest person to drop off in our rankings versus the expert rankings. And Adam Thielen is generally in this exact spot of the draft every year. Uh, this year, he's just going to have an opportunity to do it without Stefan Diggs. So the experts have him up at 13. You and I have him back at 17 just because there are a couple of question marks about him. Uh, but these are guys that you would love to have as a wide receiver two on your team if you're drafting heavy and running backs. If not, I think they represent your very powerful flexes if you're trying to build a very balanced team where you're drafting starting positions before you really go into your bench spots. Um, what do you think about any of these particular guys? Well, I kind of like what you did there, and I think I'm going to give some quick hits for everybody the way you did. Tyler Lockett last year was his first year as the wide receiver one for Seattle, and we talked about it earlier that we think that they're going to be having to pass a little bit more, so you can expect his targets to go up a little bit more, and he's been very efficient with his targets, so I really like him a lot. A.J. Brown, I think it's important to know that before week 10, he didn't even play 70% of the snaps for Tennessee. In those seven games, he had 26 catches for si over 600 yards and six total touchdowns. And that works out to be in 14 total touchdowns and 1,400 yards over a year. Now, it's crazy efficiency. I don't expect him to be that good. But I do expect him to get more targets this year as the true number one in that offense. So I still expect him to be able to put up good numbers. You mentioned how Cooper Cup is just this touchdown machine. He scored in over half his games. He was the number four wide receiver in standard and PPR last year. And yeah, he started losing some of the snap percentage of the last part of the season. So I can see why people are down on him and why we're down a little bit too, is we don't expect him to really finish that top 10 anymore, but to be a very, very good wide receiver too. You spoke about Allen Robinson, how much higher everybody else is than us. And, you know, I agree. I think he is very, very talented, but he's been playing with bad QBs for his entire career, and it's not going to change this year. But I think he really just is going, he's going to finish somewhere in like wide receiver 10 to 15. And that's where I, I have him back. I don't think he has the ability to finish as a top five receiver in fantasy this year. So I'm not going to draft him as high as someone like, you know, Calvin Ridley, who I think could. And then Adam Thielen, I understand why people are higher on him this year than we are because without Stefan Diggs, you'd expect him to get all the targets. But my concern is that without Diggs, what does that mean for Thielen? Does he see more coverage, more bracketed coverage 
you know, do, do the defenses try to take him out of the game and does that lower his efficiency? So that's why I have him lower. I like your quick hits, man. Let me uh, put a couple numbers to this to cap off the discussion on these guys. So first and foremost, I think it's really funny that you picked Calvin Ridley as the guy that you compared Allen Robinson to when you were discussing who you would draft and why. Uh, I don't know if you have looked recently, but Allen Robinson is going ahead of DJ Moore in drafts. So to compare Calvin Ridley as the guy that you would want to take over Allen Robinson kind of illustrates where your headspace is at on him right now. People are taking Allen Robinson over DJ Moore and sometimes over Mike Evans in drafts. And that makes absolutely no sense to me, which is the reason why I think this is a year that you just kind of sit out on Allen Robinson and you let somebody else take him in the third round. Don't be the person who does that. Uh, After Allen Robinson uh, is Adam Thielen. Thielen's going at 31 in drafts, which is also really, really high for where he's being drafted and the other players that are in that particular area. Uh, What that kind of means, Wyatt, is that people are taking Adam Thielen right before they take Odell Beckham and Amari Cooper. And I still think that that's just a little too early uh, to be taking him. The rest of the guys are on the other side of that. Cooper Cup is going at 39. A.J. Brown is going at 42. And Tyler Lockett is actually going at 50, almost as if he were a sixth rounder at this point. So if if those guys all seem kind of similar to you, again, if you find yourself listening to Wyatt and I hear and thinking in your head, yeah, self, all of these guys do sound fairly the same, then I think what that should illustrate for you is that you should be playing value because the guys like A.J. Brown, Cooper Cup, Calvin Ridley, uh, and Tyler Lockett are going to be the ones that you see in the fifth round. And if you get comfortable that you'd like to have, let's say, any two of those five, four guys, there's a very good chance that you could take two of them, one in round four and one in round five. And it lets you load up on running backs at your first three picks, which is kind of what we have been doing in our mock drafts this year when we look back at our team and feel like we've done the strongest. Moving on to tier seven, our final tier for today, we've got Robert Woods, ECR 16, JWB 19, Juju Smith-Schuster, ECR 10, JWB 20, Cortland Sutton, ECR 20, JWB 24, and Keenan Allen, ECR 19, JWB 26. So, last set of guys that we'll talk about tonight. And I want to make a clear delineation here. Robert Woods is in this tier because he does not have, to me and you, Wyatt, the ceiling that some of these other guys have. The if-everything-goes-well scenario for Calvin Ridley is so much different than the if-everything-goes-well scenario for Robert Woods that you have to take those guys with huge potential and put them in there. With that said... I think it is entirely possible that Robert Woods ends up scoring more points than half of the guys that you and I put in tier six, five, and four in front of him. The floor on Robert Woods is incredibly high. His consistency through the years is outstanding. This is a guy that just routinely performs higher than where you drafted him at. He just isn't a very sexy pick, and he's not always going to be a league winner for you. He'll have some weeks where he explodes, but it's only going to be one or two times a year if history has taught us anything. Most of the time, he's just going to give you good, steady numbers, and then you can move along knowing that he's not going to be the reason why you lost the week. Uh, After Robert Woods, the three guys you mentioned are Juju Smith-Schuster, Cortland Sutton, and Keenan Allen. I'm just going to call those guys three three wide receivers on my do-not-draft list. They're here and we're discussing them in this episode because the experts have them higher and because they are pretty high up in the average draft positions of where people are taking them. Juju, for example, is going 33rd overall in most drafts. I don't know that I would take him at 60, let alone 33. Uh, Cortland Sutton's going at 46, which is actually just behind Calvin Ridley and Robert Woods. And I don't think that he even belongs in the same conversation is those other two individuals. And Keenan Allen is going at 49. And although I have loved Keenan Allen for years and will continue to love him as a person and as a player, I I have too many questions about that particular offense. So um, 
quite frankly, man, like the Steelers are a mess. I don't know what I'm getting out of Juju. I'm not investing anything there. Uh, the Broncos are an enigma, and Cortland Sutton with Locke at the end of last year was a disaster. And I have no idea who's going to throw the ball to Keenan Allen, how often, or what that's going to look like. So I can't get on board with any of these three guys after Robert Woods. I think you nailed Robert Woods. I think with him, it's basically if you want to guarantee yourself a wide receiver too, you take Robert Woods. So I think that's why he's on the back end of the wide receiver twos in our rankings is he doesn't really have that ceiling as you spoke of. Juju, agree with you completely. Such a mess. I, I don't know what to believe about Pittsburgh. Ben's coming back from the elbow injury. He's getting old. Will he still be the same quarterback he has been in the past? I don't know. Uh, the running game, we've got James Conner, who's had plenty of injury history. What if something goes wrong there? How does that affect the offense? Last year, their defense got significantly better and enabled them to have this ground them out running based offense. And what if that continues this year because of how good their defense can be? And Big Ben just doesn't throw the ball as much. I just I think one of the reasons why I have Juju ranked back so far is that I'm not willing to take him where everyone else is taking him. So I'm going to rank him in a place that this is the only point in which I think there's value for him. With Cortland Sutton, you nailed it right on the head. He was just not good with Drew Locke. And then Denver went out and added Melvin Gordon, Jerry Jewey, KJ Hamler. They're already a run-first offense. So, you know, what's the ceiling with Cortland Sutton? And then Keenan Allen. This is actually one of my favorites to talk about because I think he's being rated way too highly going this year. And like you said, he's been great for years now. The last three years... Each year, he's had at least 97 receptions and six touchdowns in all of them. But what's really interesting is when Tyrod Taylor, who I believe will be the starting quarterback, when he was the starter in Buffalo, no wide receiver had more than 96 targets. So Keenan Allen has averaged more receptions than the highest targets someone was getting for Tyrod Taylor in Buffalo. It just it's, can't happen. Keenan Allen is going to have a giant year going backwards. Yeah, that's really interesting about Tyrod Taylor. And maybe that's where we're losing some people is they don't think that Tyrod Taylor is going to be the quarterback there. Um, I almost don't care who it is, man. Like, even if it is Herbert, I, I challenge you to go look at Keenan Allen's numbers the past three seasons and ask yourself, if I took off 15% of his overall yardage, dropped one touchdown, off of his numbers and gave him 80 receptions, where would he finish in the wide receiver rankings and would I be happy with it? And the answer for that is most likely he'd be a low-end flex and you'd be pleased if you had that in round six or seven. But this is the guy who is 19th overall in the expert consensus rankings and in drafts, he's going at 49. So people are taking him in the fifth round, sometimes even higher when you run into a league where people really, really like the name Keenan Allen. Uh, and I can't invest a fifth round pick in that type of uncertainty. I would rather invest a fifth round pick in what you said in Robert Woods, where I just know for sure that I'm getting a wide receiver too. And I'm posting that on the board and off we go. Ho-hum on to the next pick, right? So I, at one episode, we had done like not our sleepers, but people who we thought were going to outperform their average draft position. Uh, and we had mentioned Jarvis Landry and like they're very similar to me. Robert Woods and Jarvis Landry are the same person, except Robert Woods is the better version of that that guy who is constantly dependable and does what you think he's supposed to do. Um, I'll just say this to, to cap it off. You know, like we had to do something like we had to create tiers. It, it didn't make sense for us to have Robert Woods in a tier all on his own before we came to the other three guys. Uh, but we do like him substantially more than the rest of this group with good reason. So I, that kind of is everybody that we have seen realistically going in the top five rounds of most drafts as far as wide receivers are concerned. Um, some of these guys will fall. Some other guys that we haven't mentioned that we'll get to in our next episode could rise up into round four, for example. It's just a matter of picking who you like and, and who you don't. But we uh, definitely want to hammer home 
that the depth of the wide receiver class this year is incredible. So I think next week we'll just kind of continue on this trend and look at wide receivers who are going in rounds six or later. Uh, We'll be able to talk about guys like DK Metcalf and DJ Shark, who I know you and I feel like easily could have been mentioned in this episode as well. Uh, We can maybe look at more dependable options like Jarvis Landry, and we even get to talk about guys like AJ Green and what that's going to look like. So I'm excited to to keep discussing this wide receiver class, Wyatt. I feel like we could do another 40 wide receivers before it really starts to drop off. Yeah, I'm really excited to do the next section of this wide receiver breakdown on the next episode of the podcast. Like, because as you mentioned, there was guys who didn't make this episode because of ADP, but we feel are ranked higher than some of these other guys. If you were playing along at home, you'd notice by our numbers that we're missing some. There were some gaps in the numbers. That's because there's a lot of guys in this next episode that we feel really strongly about, and I'm pretty excited to get to that. So please join us next week for our continuation of this wide receiver breakdown. We've got a Patreon that's up and live right now. It's patreon.com slash football. As always, find us on Twitter. I'm at WyattB underscore FF. Justin's at JWill underscore FF. And the show is at JWB underscore FF. And we'll see you next time. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>